Support for WPR comes from UW-Superior Center for Continuing Education. Offering the workshop series Living Your Core Values, a one-day workshop on April 24th. Details at uwsuper.edu. Great to have you with us today on the Ideas Network. It's a physical therapy day, and we'll start with talking about how you can improve your balance. Our physical therapists are back with us. Uh, Jill Tyne Nissenbaum, professor in the Doctor of Physical Therapy program at UW Madison. Jill, good to see you. It's great to be here, Larry. And Lori Tyne Brody, physical therapist and athletic trainer at UW Health Spine Physical Therapy Clinic. And Lori, good to see you as well. Excellent to be here, Larry. Thanks. As we talk with Lori and Jill, I hope you'll join in. What do you do uh, or what do you want to know about strengthening your balance? Uh, Maybe wondering which workouts will lead to better muscle coordination. We'll take your questions at 800-642-1234. Or you could email us to ideas at wpr.org. And, of course, we'll take uh, general physical therapy questions as well as we move along during the course of the day. Lori, you brought a study that looks at balance. And, of course, balance, I imagine the big thing is, keeps us from falling, preventing falls. But... In addition to that, good balance is important for other reasons. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Although the number one reason is preventing falls. Sure. Um, But it helps us, you know, orient. It helps us feel comfortable moving around in the world. So I just saw somebody last week who has some back pain and needs to walk for exercise, but is afraid to walk because of the fear of falling. Mm. So the fear of falling can really limit people's engagement in the world around them with friends, family, going out for dinner or other social activities. So your world can become very small quickly if you are afraid of falling. So the World Health Organization estimates that 28 to 35 percent of people age 65 or older will fall at least once this year. And I think that's probably higher in places like Wisconsin where we have snow and ice because slips uh, and trips are two of the biggest reasons for people falling. And we know that there there are basically three systems that help with our balance. There is the visual, which is number one. Like we really rely on our vision. So you can imagine that as you get older, right. your, your vision declines. Uh, your uh, vestibular system, and that is your inner ear that tells you where you are in space, declines with age. And then you have the somatosensory, and that is your joint receptors and your muscle receptors, and those all decline with age. And and, then, and with other comorbidities, too, such as a neuropathy or diabetes, things yeah, like that, you also see sure. a decline with those as well. So the elderly person has a lot of variables against them, I guess. Right, very high risk. And, and Jill's right, that neuropathy in your feet, I see many people who really can't feel their feet. And so knowing where you are in space, if there's no feedback from your feet, makes you at a very high risk of falling. I had uh, the one fall I've taken in years was just this past winter. And it was, um, you know, early in the morning, 530 in the morning when it was pitch dark and it's icy. And I, I hit 
but there were just patches here or there, and I hit one. I, but I couldn't see. I mean, it was pitch dark. Right, right. So one of the important things is is often we see people who train what we call static balance, and that is you're standing and you're balancing on one leg. Very common activity. But what we need to train is what's called our reactive balance, and that is how do you respond when you lose your balance? Mm-hmm. So there are different strategies for regaining your balance. There's it's called the ankle strategy, the hip strategy, the stepping strategy, but most importantly, the reaching out for some object strategy. Right. So as physical therapists, we need to be training our patients to regain their balance when they lose it. And that's one of the things, actually, we do a lot in the pool because it slows everything down and you have an opportunity to regain your balance um, in a safe environment. Another really important strategy that we utilize is activities with the eyes closed. Mm -hmm. Because how often do older individuals get up during the night to use the bathroom and, and it's you dark. and you have decreased and right it's dark or it limits your social activities because you don't want to go to the theater mm-hmm. or you know to the overture center or whatever because it's dark or it's dimly lit and you're afraid you're going to fall so all those things of practicing reactive balance so that when that does happen, when you're out at 5.30 in the morning and it's dark and you slip a little bit, you don't panic because your brain has a strategy in place to regain your balance. And that, that not panicking is part of it because you've practiced what to do in that situation. And this really gets to the specificity of training. And we use this with many things is that you need to train your muscles and your mind it's like dress rehearsal, exactly how you would experience it. So in the sports medicine world, that's exactly what we do. We put people in situations similar to what they would do on the basketball court, similar to what they do on the sheet of ice. And as Lori's alluding to, this balance training is no different in that you need to train people for the situation. If you start to fall, your body has to have a strategy or a plan in place. So that's what's really important, and that's what came out of this this Mm -hmm. very, very robust study is that the studies that actually included what we call reactive balance training – um, this is this is what came out of this the study that Lori's alluding to is that those were the studies that were the most helpful is if they included this component that Lori's talking about. So give me an example – can you give me an example of a training kind of exercise that you would – practice with people? So um, during walking, so walking on uneven surfaces. So in the clinic, we might have wobble boards or cushions or things like that. So as that person is walking, they actually lose their balance. And then the physical therapist is there to make sure that they don't fall, but they are in a graduated manner increasing what we call the perturbation. And that is the disturbance of their balance in structured situations. So So if you're walking there and the person doesn't put, I I would almost assume somebody's arms would go go out. Exactly. Your arms go out. So, uh, so we train them, um, 
in terms of posture, like tightening your core muscles, keeping your knee slightly flexed, leaning slightly this way to counterbalance um, what's happening lower down in the lower extremity. So, um, and much of it is also related to changing directions. So you might have someone walking, and then you give them a cue to stop and turn. And the other thing then to add, to even add more to this is we do all this first with the patient being cognitively aware of this, letting them use their brain to figure this out. But eventually what you'd like to do is have them be able to do this while dual tasking. So in other words, you're walking along with someone, having a conversation with them and being able to pull out these reactive balance strategies automatically, like Lori alluded to, with with an RDM motor program within you so you don't have to think about doing it. And that's actually the, the next level where you would need to go with these exercises. Glenn in Fond du Lac has uh, something that relates to this, so let's go there. Hi, Glenn. Thank you for calling. Hi. I'm 80 years old. I have both knees replaced, both hips replaced. And what I find is I have a four-wheel walker with brakes on, and I use that in the house all the time and then for sure at night going from the bedroom to the bathroom yeah that's a great strategy and another strategy i've heard with people regarding um getting up to use the restroom at night is do you remember the clapper or some sort of Mm -hmm. automatic way that you can turn on a light because what happens Mm. is people stand Mm -hmm. up and like i'm going to walk three steps to turn on that light and within that area is when they actually have their fall so if you can somehow turn on a light before your feet even hit the ground. That's actually a wonderful strategy as well. But, Glenn, those are great ideas, and I think you're, you're doing great with using those things. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you've dated yourself with the clap thing. Sorry. I think the updated version would be Alexa. Alexa, Alexa turn on the light. Turn on the light. Yes, for sure. Sorry, boy, I just got shamed by my, by my older sister. Okay, oh, there we go. Um, Nancy in New Berlin, we'll go to you. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. First, I did fall a week ago, and I'm not sure there would have been much I could have do done to prevent that. I'm a very experienced hiker. I had a hiking stick with me. I had the right shoes on. I experienced some mud and my left, my right heel just slid and I fell. Um, I do have a fracture and what I'm curious about is um, it is in the humerus and it is um, at the area of the surgical neck and right now the doctor is being very conservative, sling, ice, but it's an obvious break and I see him later today and they'll take more x-rays what's your experience with non uh with patients that have had that kind of fracture and haven't had surgery i understand the outcomes can be quite good do you have any thoughts on that so first of all nancy i think you're right i think this sounded like this was an environmental situation in which you had no control over it and you were doing things right a proximal humeral fracture around the surgical neck, as long as it's non-displaced, you can have a good outcome. The biggest concern we have is the risk of developing a frozen shoulder because mm. of the amount of the length of time you need to keep your arm immobilized to let that knitting start to happen. Oh. And this is probably an age category. I don't know how old Nancy is, but it's an age category of people who are generally high risk for frozen shoulder. So one of the biggest concerns is we need to let that knit together, but we 
can't sit on it too long for fear you're going to get a frozen shoulder. So this, there's this delicate balance. And I'm confident your surgeon will talk to you about that today. They'll probably re-X-ray you, take more plain imaging to see if they can see some of that knitting happening and then make some decisions based on that. And you can certainly start some physical therapy when they see that healing start to happen. And it will be very controlled. It'll be passive where the physical therapist will move your shoulder while providing some stability at that fracture site so that your shoulder does not develop uh, a frozen shoulder. Because right. <clears throat> that you're looking at an 18 to 24-month recovery from the frozen shoulder. Right. So, so a, a good physician in hand-in-hand in hand with the physical therapist will work together with you to toe that line between fracture healing and frozen shoulder. Mm-hmm. Louise in Dodgeville will go to you. Hi, Louise. Um, hi. Um, I was reading recently about how um, people who have um, dementia, how their gait changes and that, um, you know, there's asymmetry going on um, with the, the, the gait and um, could you speak to just um, fall prevention as people are aging and cognitive declines are going on and how those two are related? Sure. So I think you sent me an article last night just talking about this. Oh, as, yes, I did. That's why I was pointing I at you. I, that's why you were pointing. I'm like, why is she pointing at oh, me? My goodness. Yes. I so did go ahead. I did and this check. is Lori now speaking. <laughs> Yeah, it is a Monday. You it know. is a Monday. Yeah. Um, so yes, that some people consider gait as the sixth vital sign. You know, mm-hmm. after heart rate, blood pressure, respiratory rate, and so on, because a decline in your gait can signal some sort of cognitive decline. So. People who are less stable, people who are taking smaller steps, people who are shuffling, you need to have that assessed to figure out why. Perhaps there is a a mechanical reason, an orthopedic reason, oh, my hip hurts, oh, my knee hurts. But it can also signal a cognitive decline. So yes, you're absolutely right, Louise, there is a relationship between cognitive decline and gait. So that being said... First of all, if, you, if you're seeing that change in the gait with, in the absence of some other diagnosis, you want to get that assessed because it could be an early sign of cognitive decline. If you have somebody with known dementia, then it's a matter of you know, having them assessed by a physical therapist to determine what the correct assistive device is for that person and then figuring out how to ensure that they're going to use it, especially if they're getting up during the night. From a safety perspective, mm-hmm. that's yeah. exactly Absolutely. right. So that's that's where seeing either a geriatric clinical specialist or a neurological uh, clinical specialist would be very helpful. Um, it might be a multidisciplinary clinic where they can also talk about medications because sometimes medications can impact gait as well. Um, so, But I, I think that's a point well taken, and I think it, it needs – a look from many different lenses, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. take a look at the person's living space and what, yeah. what right. is, <clears throat> what is uh, you know, are, is there a pile of magazines or are, are there ways to um, 
open up and and free the area for somebody in that kind of situation. Right, right. If they're living at home, absolutely. You can get a a home assessment where somebody comes in and looks at surfaces. Do you have rugs? Are there lips or things that are Mm going to catch somebody's toe as you transition from one floor surface to another? Do you have two or three steps up or down into another portion of your house that doesn't have a railing where that person might not remember that those stairs are there. I mean, but grab bars. Grab bars, like yeah. bars so in I, the bathroom. Exactly. That right. tub and so forth. Right. So there are people who specialize in that home assessment for fall prevention. Lori Tyne Brody, Jill Tyne Nissenbaum, our guests today, our physical therapists. We're uh, talking with them about balance a bit, but we're taking other questions as well. The number to call, 800 800- Six four two one two three four. You can email us the email address ideas at wpr dot org. Trina Lasusa is our engineer today. Jill Nadeau, our producer. I'm Larry Miller for the Ideas Network. We are limiting our winter member drive. Just want to let you know about that uh, later this month. Our drive, normally it's uh, several days today. This time it's just one day, and you can help us meet our fundraising goal and unlock an extra $20,000 for the WPR programs you value with your gift right now. When 500 people donate before February 28th, we'll meet that challenge, and uh, I hope you'll join in now at wpr.org slash donate. So you can do that right now while you're listening to our experts, Lori Tyne Brody, Jill Tyne Nissenbaum, and we'll also hear from Rose, who's in Green Bay with a question. Hi, Rose. Hi there. How are you? Good. Appreciate the call. What's on your mind? Uh, TMJ. I'm curious if TMJ can be helped. Um, I've just had a few episodes recently where my jaw feels like it has popped out of socket maybe or some It has frozen up during the moment. Um, just kind of, I feel like that's uh, only on one side of my jaw. And so I'm wondering if some kind of exercises, strengthening or stretching um, can help that. The answer is yes. There are actually physical therapists that specialize in treating temp- temporal mandibular disorders. And it's a very unique circumstance because, as you alluded to, Rose, you have two joints that have to work together at the same time. Um, So seeing a physical therapist that specializes in this um, would be very helpful. And I think you said you're in the Green Bay area? Yeah. Correct. Um, If you would be willing to give your contact information to somebody, I can. uh, there's a TMJ specialist here in Madison, and I believe she knows every TMJ specialist in the state of Wisconsin. And I can see if there's somebody up in your area, because it is fairly specialized. Um, You'd mentioned you felt like it comes out of joint sometimes. We see this occasionally in patients with hypermobility. Um, I'm not sure if you feel like all of your joints are loose or you feel, quote, unquote, double jointed. Well, I don't think that it's all of the joints and I'm not sure what double jointed would feel like but um, it's really just been recently happening okay and it's strictly on one side of my jaw yep and I'm wondering is like I chew on one side more than the other wondering if it's just like less muscle um intact it could be an imbalance I similarly have TMJ on one side but not the other and it comes and goes and I think 
when it flares, it's the disc. So mm -hmm. there's a, a little disc in there that can get displaced. And sometimes, for some reason, I have no idea why, maybe I've chewed really hard on something or bit into something, and it that little disc displaces. And then over time, it eventually restores itself. Usually, I just go on and I have a couple little maneuvers that I do that my sister taught me. Um, and that gets it back in place again. So seeing a physical therapist to help you with that uh, can help certainly resolve this issue. For, for sure. And there's a and that disc can come out of place because there's a muscle that attaches to it, one of your pterygoid muscles, and that can actually pull it out of place. And um, yes, it's truly sisterly trust. My sister let me put <laughs> my thumb in her mouth to fix her, and she promised not to bite me. So, Rose, what I'm trying to tell you is there will be intraoral techniques that a physical therapist would do to help with your TMJ. So, if, Rose, if you can... Stay mm -hmm. here. We can get that information. Yep. Trina's assuring me that that is the case. Thank you so much. Uh, well, let's take another question here um, or a comment, I guess, from Kathy and Madison. Uh, Kathy, hi. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. First of all, um, I did fall back in um, June and I called you in November and asked you if it was too late for me to do PT. And you said, no, go ahead and make your appointment immediately. And I did. And I ended up with one of Dr. Jill's students. <laughs> Excellent. Did they do a good job? It was fabulous. Oh, good. And she's done, she's done wonders. And just yesterday, I was getting out of the shower, and I whipped that towel around my back to dry off my back, and I thought, Wow, I haven't done that in months. So well, that, was, that was fabulous. So I just want to say thank you for advice and for all your listeners. It's not too late. <laughs> and then I have a second comment. My sister Ellen suffers from Meniere's disease, and she goes to vestibular physical therapy. And I just want to, again, tell your readers it's extremely helpful. So please encourage them to go. Oh, Kathy, thank you very much for calling. Appreciate your call. Jill, comment? Well, Meniere's disease is an, inter an inner ear disease, and vestibular physical therapists are trained to look at inner ear issues um, and know how to fix these vestibular issues. And it's it's coming fairly common that we've identified that there are very specific balance issues, Meniere's disease, certain things that vestibular physical therapists can fix and fix pretty quickly too. Yeah, it's really important. It's one of the, the big three components Correct. of balance. So right. if your vestibular system is, is out of kilter, you're really going to have a hard time <laughs> preventing a fall. Kathy, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Mike, who's in his uh, semi. Hi, Mike. Oh. Hello. Uh, yeah, I, my wife has got uh, neuropathy diabetes. She's, she fell and uh, broke her hip. She had an operation in June, which they had to redo in December. And last year, she fell and broke a, a rib. And uh, with this neuropathy, she has a hard time feeling uh, you know, for her balance. And I've uh, doctors uh, prescribed a uh, physical therapist, and I'm just having a hard time uh, Getting the physical therapist together with the insurance company. One wants the other one to call them, and the other one wants the other one to call them, and 
and I'm in the middle, like, you know, is there a form or something I can fill out for you guys? I don't know, but I need to get something done because I'm at work and she's at home. And, sure. Uh, yeah, it, it shouldn't be that difficult to get physical therapy. I don't know why the insurance company is having difficulty, particularly if the doctor made a referral. Right. In the state of Wisconsin, you don't need a referral to see a physical therapist. However, you need to check with your insurance company. Most insurance companies will cover that visit, even in the absence of a doctor's referral that's called direct access. But there should be no issue with your insurance company. Right, and especially with this extensive history of right. falls, this is this right. is exactly what we're talking about: is is the fall and then the negative consequences of of a fracture. So your wife has sustained two significant fractures due to falls. So right, and two surgeries, and two for surgeries. sure. So right. she is a very high risk. Right, and frankly, the insurance company should be jumping all over that physical therapy to help her prevent further decline right. and prevent another fall. A fall is an extremely expensive proposition for a, an insurance company, particularly if, if it results in a fall or and a fall that results in a fracture right. that requires surgery right. and multiple follow-up visits Correct. and imaging and on and on and on. So right. I'm not understanding why your insurance company is well, giving sounded, you... It sounded like the... PT person says the insurance company should be calling me, and the insurance company says the PT person should be calling me. That that doesn't make sense to me. If you're having difficulty with, you might try a different physical therapy clinic. I'm, right. Perhaps that physical therapy clinic doesn't take your insurance. So, for example, in Dane County, um, certain clinics can only accept certain insurances. If right. you're in a in an HMO like Quartz or Dean or GHC or whatever, you may have to go specifically to their physical therapy clinic. So I can see where there might be an issue there if if she has tried to attend physical therapy at a clinic that doesn't accept her insurance. There right. Might, they might out, need a pre-authorization. If it's out of network or if something it's out of like network, that, yes. which, which could be the fact if Mike drives a semi, maybe from a logistics where he lives and where, I don't know if that's His a factor. Company, or not. Yeah, I don't yeah. know either. So it could be a pre-authorization issue, um, in which case you she might call different clinics and find a clinic that takes her insurance. Or maybe talk to the insurance company and s- and ask them go, right. you can go that route too. Right. And I'm sorry you're having having to advocate so much. And unfortunately, we we hear this more often than we'd like to about yeah. the difficulties with navigating the healthcare system. It seems to me that you'd probably want to call the insurance company and say, "Look, here's the where my wife is wants right. to go. What mm-hmm. what's the problem here? Right. Yeah. Where are you covering? Why, yeah. why? What what clinics would you cover? What facilities right. are covered under my plan? Yeah, right. that I'd, might be. I'd get a hold of my agent, Mike, on that. Yeah, that might be a good way to go too. Thanks yeah. for thinking of that, Larry. Good luck. Thank you for yeah. calling. Appreciate your call. It's a tough situation. Yeah, well, good for Mike for advocating for right. her. It's really yes. important to to get her going again. Um, Margaret in Wausau, it's your turn. Hi, Margaret. Yes. Hi. I have a comment concerning uh, balance and low vision and the use of trekking poles or walking poles. Um, I've been legally blind since for the last thirty years. And only within the last 10 years, I started using walking poles, and they are a game changer. And I will say why, because I hold my body more erect. I'm not Mm. waddling as much, 
And also, I'm not so intent on trying to, my head isn't down, trying to figure out what's happening. It frees me up, and it's just been wonderful. And I just don't see very many older people using walking poles. So that's my comment. I just think they're very, very, very useful. Well, it's a really good point because it gives you more input from the ground when you have that contact with the ground to try and compensate for your low vision. So it it would it makes sense. It would give you more kinesthetic in, input. And um, yeah, we see a lot. Mm-hmm. Of, I mean, we see people when they go on hikes and things like that with mm-hmm. hiking poles. But you're right. I don't see a yeah. lot of people with um, just plain old yeah. trekking poles for activities yeah. of daily yeah. living. Yeah, more points of stability. Right. And absolutely in, improves your posture mm-hmm. and improves your gait. So, I don't know. I feel like I see quite a few people out using hiking poles. Yeah, I mean, we recommend them a lot, and, um, especially if you're traveling. Um, the collapsible ones are great. Mm-hmm. Um, they're packable and pretty easy to take along. So absolutely trekking poles. I think it's a marvelous idea. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Margaret, thank you. Uh, Dwayne in River Falls, uh, your turn now. Hi, Dwayne. Hey, how, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm a 68-year-old man, uh, overweight, and I, I have a problem when I'm walking downhill. And maybe Margaret just gave me my answer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm walking down a slope, like a, a ramp or something, and it's like I have... Um, uh, I feel like I could fall very easily, but I have not fallen. But maybe I need just that one other thing when there's not a, a, a railway along the side. Yeah. So I think I think that would work. And it and you bring up a really good point. Honestly, it's much easier for people to walk uphill mm-hmm. than downhill. So when you're walking uphill from a neurologic motor control perspective. All you have to do is recruit more muscle fibers to move your mass uphill. When you're going downhill, you have to sort of de-recruit. Like you have to recruit to slow your gait downhill, but it uses fewer muscle fibers. It's it's sort of a it's an eccentric muscle contraction if you've ever heard from those. Neurologically, those are much harder for people to manage. And so people almost always feel less stable walking downhill, walking down steps. So it would probably be useful for you to see a physical therapist to get on a strengthening program that focuses on that eccentric muscle component. Interestingly, the paper that we referred to, the, the, the number one intervention was balance activities that included reactive balance, but the second most effective intervention was power training, and that is high resistive strength in a short amount of time. So that would cer- certainly that kind of training would help you with your walking downhill. And you're absolutely right. It is much more challenging, and people are much more fearful of falling. So absolutely get the trekking poles, but see about right. attending physical therapy to get some exercises that you can do to help train your brain to feel more confident and to be more stable walking down inclines. Dwayne, thank you so much. Appreciate your call. Audrey emailed Friday night. She got up and lost her balance and did a face plant. 
uh, which cut her lip and bloodied her nose. She went to urgent care Saturday morning, and they said it was vertigo and gave her some exercise and medication. She wonders what causes vertigo, and have you heard of Carol Foster doctor treatment? It was not on the list of exercises, but was recommended by her yoga instructor. She lives alone, and this really scared her. So anyway, a couple of questions there. Um, so, what causes vertigo? Um, usually it's an inner, inner ear. ear issue. So I'm wondering why they made that call. If she's not had symptoms before, not had symptoms since, mm. why they thought it was vertigo at that point. If there were other signs or symptoms that Audrey experienced at that time that perhaps she didn't share with us. Right. And I'm curious what exercises they gave her, if they were right. yeah. strengthening exercises, if they were something specific for her vertigo. Yeah. And then yeah. her yoga instructor gave her the Carol Foster MD treatment. Do you have any idea what that is? I'm not familiar with that. No, not at all. Can but I would recommend if she's anxious about yes. this in this episode, get in to see a physical therapist who can sort through the signs and symptoms that she has and verify if it was indeed vertigo and if so what the right intervention for that would be or if there was some other circumstance that caused her to lose her balance and and a physical therapist can sort through that history to help get to the cause and then apply the right intervention. And, you know, that brings up, she brings up a perfect example of now this fear. And so Mm -hmm. this is a perfect example of someone who may make their world smaller, that Lori talks about, decrease their physical activity, which will have negative impact on on Audrey's bone health, her cardiovascular activity, maybe blood pressure. And that's the last thing we want to see happen. So we want to make sure that she's in good shape. So I I agree, Lori, she should see someone to see exactly what's going on and kind of steady the ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's go to Dot in Chippewa Falls next. Hi, Dot. Hi. Um, I got a question for you. I have a bad shoulder. I know it's in bad shape. I've been through physical therapy. I've had steroid shots. At first, they said they wanted to do an operation on the rotator cuff, and now they say I need a total shoulder replacement. I'm not sure what to do. So, um, Doc, can I ask how old you are? I I quit counting. I was born in 56. Oh, you're... You're young. young. <laughs> You're very, very, very young. You're the same age as my brother. You're very young. So um, interestingly, so it sounds to me like they thought of, at some mm-hmm. point you might have needed a rotator cuff repair. And what they may have discovered is that truly a rotator cuff is beyond repair. And now they're recommending a total shoulder. They, they may be recommending a reverse total shoulder if somebody has significant what we call cuff arthropathy and that their cuff is just so degraded that they might recommend a reverse total shoulder replacement. So um, it, I'm following what you've said about you've done physical therapy, you've tried steroid injections, your, your rotator cuff is in bad shape, and they're recommending a total cuff replacement. That sounds like a good course of care. The question now becomes is how this impairment with your shoulder is impacting your life if the pain days, if the bad days are outweigh the good days, 
if it's impeding your function, if you're finding you are unable to do things, um, if it's impacting your quality of life. I think those are kind of the next questions. I feel like on paper, this seems like a good pattern. Mm-hmm. Lori? Yeah, I would agree. It seems like they have done the appropriate conservative measures. Nobody has jumped into this right, right away and said, mm-hmm. you need this. It sounds like it has been going on for a while and has had a, a fairly predictable pathway. And Jill's right. So when the bad days are winning, that's when yeah. you get it done. Is it affecting your sleep? Are right. you unable to sleep? Are you unable to do your daily activities, cooking, cleaning, laundry, dressing, self-care, shopping, those kinds of things? Um, then it's time to get it done. And it's a fairly successful right. operation. People do pretty well after this. You're not going to achieve your full range of motion, but chances are you don't have full range of motion right now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it may be that your range of motion you have is number one, very functional, and number two, now it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good luck to you, Dodd, and thanks a lot uh, for calling. Appreciate it. Let us know down the road how everything goes. Uh, Mike and Stevens Point, it's your turn. Hi, Mike. Lucky me. (laughs) (laughs) You won the lottery. Or not. Right. You're calling us. I'm I'm 75. I'm in Stevens Point. I've been an RN for 40 years, worked in a lot of nursing homes, and could talk about falls for a million years. Oh, yeah. But I have one useful thing that people might be interested in. My mom broke her hip. uh, She broke her femur in half, and uh, and she... uh, she fell, and uh, so that she was in at our county home for a couple of weeks, and then they were going to send her home. And I go like, you know, she's ninety three years old. You know, she can't just go home. You you, you can't got to keep her a while longer. No, we're taking her home. And they gave me good advice. They said, because she's demented as well, and uh, they said put a commode next to her bed at night, and that way, instead of trying to walk all the way to the bathroom or something, she just has to stand up with her walker and use the commode. Especially if somebody else is in the house, you know, mm-hmm. that that helps a lot. But, you know, a lot of these people, uh, their whole life have gotten up and gone to the bathroom and all you need is a commode. And mm-hmm. they should do that in a nursing home, too. I see these people taking the people in the middle of the night to the bathroom. And I said, why don't you just put a commode next to their bed? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a great point. If they're. Mm-hmm can do a stand pivot transfer or use their walker mm-hmm. and just pivot to a commode at night, especially if they say, Alexa, turn on the lights. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. No, that's a that's a really good piece of advice, Mike, and, and I think your point is well taken. Yeah, I have a number of patients who have a commode next to their bed. And frankly, if there had been a commode next to our mother's bed, she wouldn't have fallen, fallen either. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I get it. Yeah, yeah, I think sure. that's a great Thanks. piece of advice. Yep. So absolutely, Mike, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Jill Tyne-Nissenbaum and Lori Tyne-Brody, our physical therapists with us today. You can join in, too. The number to call, 800-642-1234, or you could email us to ideas at wpr.org. I'm Larry Mailer for the Ideas Network. Access to independent journalism and quality entertainment is essential. Our community can count on WPR for news and inspiration thanks to support from listeners like you. We're limiting our winter member drive to a single day later this month, and we need your help to meet our fundraising goal with less interruptions to the programs you value. 
Join in now and be one of the 500 people to help unlock an extra $20,000 for WPR at WPR.org slash donate. Support for WPR comes from Legacy Private Trust Company. Dedicated to providing distinguished, personalized wealth management, trust, and family office services to successful individuals and families throughout Wisconsin. LPTrust.com Wisconsin Public Radio brings you thoughtful and engaging discussions every day. Authors, artists, politicians, and voices from around the state. You'll hear them all. And you can be a part of the conversation, too, on air or online at WPR.org. Taking a look at physical therapy issues on the program today, Larry Miller here with my guests Jill Tyne Nissenbaum and Lori Tyne Brody, our physical therapists who come by every month to take a look at those aches and pains and sprains and strains. We've zeroed in a, a bit on on um, uh, balance and improving your sense of balance, but we've certainly taken other questions as well. And our lines are filled, so let's go to Mary and Madison next. Mary, thank you for calling. What's on your mind? Hi. A friend of mine who loved to play pickleball recently, well, I shouldn't say recently, about five months ago, sustained a tendon tear in his foot. Mm-hmm. He's been treated so far with a brace. Um, can he heal a tendon with only a brace and possible PT to strengthen other parts of his foot, or is it necessary to have surgery to heal a tendon tear? He's hesitant to have surgery because he's been told that he would have to be off his feet and unable to drive for six weeks. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you know what tendon it is? Is it an Achilles tendon rupture, Mary? Does that sound right? Like on the back of his heel, or is it in the bottom of his no, foot? No, it's, it's like along the side, outside of his foot. A perineal? Bottom, I think. Or a, a more, more like a peroneus brevis, yeah, or a perineal. Maybe it's on the inside. Maybe a not a perineal. Um, the, uh, posterior tib. Tom Dicker Harry. Yeah, yeah. So the take home message is, Mary. Um, this is a great question, and tendons can heal if if there's a first of all, if it's a partial tear. Mm-hmm. They can definitely heal. Um, if it is a full rupture and those ends are still relatively close together, they will. They can kind of find each other and scar down. The, the thing that physicians consider and physical therapists consider is, are there other muscles that do the same motion as this muscle? And so we can kind of strengthen the other guys to kind of make up for this weakness. Um, or is this really the only muscle that does that motion? And so that is some of the clinical decision-making that goes into these, the severity of the tear, um, the overall health of the person, of their joint, of their joint structures, their muscle structures, all of those things go into play. So there's a lot of clinical decision-making that goes into this. Um, and so the answer, the long and short of it is, yes, this, this can, you can treat these conservatively, but there's a lot of clinical decision-making that goes into it. And yes, um, he should be seeing physical therapy when the timeline is appropriate and when he's, you know, had some good healing with his tendon. Yeah. Mary, thank you for calling. Sue and Delafield, uh, your turn. Hi, Sue. Hi. Back in August of 2022, I fell and broke my right ankle on both sides. I had surgery. A week later, I ended up 
with a blood clot in the left leg, which sent me to have an immediate surgery regarding compartment syndrome. Okay. So they did the, the surgery. I healed. I did the physical therapy. I still have no feeling within the leg. It swells constantly. I mean, it's unbearable. What is going on? What can I do? So you, so your chief complaint is truly the left leg where you had the emergency compartment syndrome, correct? Correct. I oh. have Maze Thurner, too. That's what they said. You have what? Say that again. Maze Thurner. Maze. Maze Thurner. Maze Thurner? Maze Thurner. Yes. yes. Um, okay. I don't know what Maze Thurner is. Have you heard of Maze Thurner, Lori? We're talking about an acute fasciotomy for a, a, acute compartment syndrome in somebody who had an ankle fracture on the right and then had acute compartment syndrome on her left and had fasciotomies on her left, and she has Maze Thurner, which I have never heard of. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that either. So what are the symptoms of that? Well, she, she's having... I believe they co- Go ahead. I believe they classified that as having DVTs. And it's hereditary. That's oh, what they okay, okay. So the okay. so the okay. So that makes so that you had the blood clot because you have this underlying condition. Okay, so then Correct. so tell me tell us again about your symptoms on your left leg. Okay, I have no feeling. Period from the knee down, and the intent they because they slipped me from knee to ankle on both sides to release all the the, oh. the, the swelling and the blood that was in there. And they, they, you know, stapled it back up. I had them removed. I did the physical therapy. I still have no feeling whatsoever. I mean, I could put a needle in my leg and I can't feel it. Oh, oh boy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so we just looked up Maythurner syndrome, and it is a rarely diagnosed condition in which patients develop DVT due to an anatomical variant. So, so this is, yeah, so... First of all, I mean, this is just you are the perfect storm of awful things that could happen um, is the first thing I can say. And I'm not sure if seeing a physical therapist, Lori, if you have any recommendations or what about putting her in a pool to manage swelling? Do you have a lot of swelling in that leg? I mean, I push my finger in and it's like pushing it into styrofoam. It leaves an indentation. So so maybe some pitting edema. So, uh, yes. Have you seen, for example, a lymphedema specialist? Have you seen a lymphedema specialist? I was, we're having a little trouble with Lori's yeah. uh, microphone and headset right. has kind of dis- right. has gone away. So we'll get that fixed. But let's right. So let's so go back have, to Jill. have you seen a lymphedema specialist at all for this? I've, no, I've never heard of it. What is it? Okay, so a, so somebody who manages lymphedema or kind of chronic effusion and lymph damage might be someone to see. So perhaps seeing a physical therapist that that specializes in lymphedema might be a okay. good strategy for you. Um, the other okay. the other option to control swelling would be to get in a pool because um, the hydrosta- hydrostatic pressure of the pool would help with that. Now, I, I don't know how much any of these things, Sue, would help you get your sensation or feeling back. The only way that would help is if the swelling was the problem causing your altered sensation, and we tackled the swelling first. Um, mm-hmm. So that was my that was the first thing that I was thinking of. Yeah, I, I think your options are pretty limited at this point. 
Still having trouble with your microphone, Lori. We'll get uh, we'll get that fixed. Jill, go ahead. Yeah. So Lori said she thinks your options are fairly limited, but I would start with a lymphedema physical therapist and see if that's something that would work and and uh, th- that would definitely be the first line of defense I would do, and then trying um, a pool as well. All right. Good. Okay. Good luck, good Sue. Luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Very educating much for us. Calling. Right, and educating us on that rare disorder, that DVT, which I was yeah. I was unfamiliar with. Uh, let's see. Well, let's go to to an email. Renee and Rice Lake emailed to ask if you can suggest exercises for two week post lumpectomy. Like lumpectomy. Lumpectomy. Lumpect. Yes, lumpectomy. Excuse me. Sorry, uh, and or axillary axillary uh, lymph, axillary lymph? lymph node dissection surgery. Yes, will be meeting with breast pan, uh, cancer PT, but I'm always open to more suggestions. So first of all, so it sounds like she had a lumpectomy and then um, they took out some axillary lymph nodes, which is common when they're when you're looking for a, what kind of staging a diagnosis of breast cancer, looking for breast cancer. And she says the treatments may, the cancer treatments may include estrogen blocking treatments or endocrine therapy. Side effects include bone loss yes. due to estrogen. Lack of estrogen. Correct. So any specific exercises that may benefit this. Correct. So so meeting with that physical therapist that specializes in breast cancer is ideal because when you remove some lymph nodes, now you have that concern about upper extremity edema. So typically people who work with breast cancer patients are lymphedema specialists or teach patients how to manage excessive swelling and fluid in that upper extremity because once those lymph nodes are removed, you can end up with a lot of upper extremity edema. The other things that will be important is to make sure that she does a lot of good mobility and stretching her arm and taking her arm overhead and the physical therapist that she's going to see that specializes in this is actually fantastic. She's actually got a really good plan of care lined up. And that person should also be able to help her with making sure that she doesn't experience a good deal of bone loss due to the various medications she may be on for her breast cancer. So they might do some sort of bone building activities, such as lower extremity strengthening, maybe a little bit of impact activities and things like that. So um, I don't have anything to say. My first suggestion would be see somebody who specializes in in breast cancer. So I think she's really in a good place, Larry. And um, Mm -hmm. I would just definitely follow the guidelines of that physical therapist. And thanks for calling in and giving us an opportunity to educate our listeners. Yeah. Glenn in Middleton, your turn. Hi, Glenn. Um, Real quick, I just want to offer the suggestion that helped me tremendously after some serious ankle and leg broken bones and things. When I was finally released from the rehab hospital, my son um, and my wife installed a second rail on the six steps that go from the garage into our house. So I had a railing on both sides. Yeah. And a month after all my trouble, I could navigate those six steps. And then uh, probably after I, I lived on the first floor for quite a while. But then uh, we have a two-story house. My son and I put a second railing on our regular stairs that goes up to the second floor. It was the best thing to help me adjust to being home and having to do stairs. And now um, I'm pretty much recovered. 
but I still use both railings going up and both railings going down. It's the most wonderful thing if you know somebody handy who can put a second railing in. I don't know why the builders don't do that. <laughs> they build a house. I, it's a it's a great point, and it's one of the things as a physical therapist when we're preparing a patient to go home, we always ask them what side the railing is on and kind of train them to use that. But you could be in situations where that railing is on the opposite side, and there's nothing better than not having to choose and to having a railing on both sides. So for a very small cost in the big picture of life, Glenn, um, this sounds like a wonderful strategy and a really good idea. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that, I'm, and I'm glad you're recovering very well. And Absolutely. Thank you very much, Glenn. Probably it's always on the right side. Probably. Because most people are, more people are right-handed than are are Well, it'll be the right side going up, but then the left side going down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Exactly. Well, I always walk backwards down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Lori Tide Brody, Jill Tide Disabob, our guests, they'll be with us right up till 1230 today. We'll take a quick look at the news And then we will be back with Lori and Jill. I'm Larry Mailer for the Ideas Network. Taking a look at physical therapy on the program today with our guests, Jill Tyne-Nissenbaum, professor in the Doctor of Physical Therapy program at UW-Madison, and Lori Tyne-Brody, physical therapist and athletic trainer at UW Health Spine Physical Therapy Clinic. Great to have them uh, with us. And before we get back to our discussion on all the various physical therapy issues, just wanted to have you... I'll remind you to join WPR Thursday morning for a live special coverage of the State of the Tribe Address. It starts around 10 o'clock in the Wisconsin State uh, Capitol, and we'll hear from James Crawford, who's uh, chairman of the Forest County Potawatomi. It's a live special coverage of the 2024 State of the Tribe's Address around 10 on Thursday morning here on Wisconsin Public Radio and WPR.org. So... That's coming up on Thursday. We have a number of callers, and I think we should go back to the phones and to Jim in Omaha, Nebraska next. Hi, Jim. Thank you for calling. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I had an experience uh, some oh, a couple years ago. Uh, I, I fell down. Uh, I, I got out of my uh, chair too too rapidly, and I passed out, and I did a face plant and broke my jaw and perforated my, my teeth went through my lip. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, so the recommendation was that I just always get up quite slowly. Um, and sometimes that didn't even help. But I, I moved and I changed doctors. And, uh, well, what we found out over a period of months that it, it was one of my medications. Um, I was taking Flomax. And I discontinued that or cut way, way back on it, just use it occasionally. And I haven't had that trouble since. 
You, yeah. I, Thanks I, for calling, Jim. That's so great. As you were telling me your story, mm-hmm. the first thing I wrote down was, is this a medication issue? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just a, a classic symptom of getting up quickly Correct. and you get lightheaded and down you go. So it's super important that you check in with your physician or your pharmacist who can sort through all of your medications and see if any of them are suspects in terms of causing these symptoms and putting you at risk of a fall and if something could be discontinued or changed. And so if you go to a falls clinic, which would is a multidisciplinary clinic, usually has a geriatrician as the physician, there's always pharmacist, physical therapist, occupational therapist, and that is one of the things that they will look at is making sure that there's no medications that could be a risk factor and can we change them, things like this. So I'm glad you got to the bottom of the problem, Jim, and that you got this this fixed. That's great news, and thanks for sharing that with yeah, me. Yeah, it's really important it. that people understand that right. That's another piece of the pie here. And a friend who that actually happened to and uh, had an adjustment in the Flomax and that took care of the problem. Just Amazing. Didn't, didn't end it, but just right. adjusted mm-hmm. yep. a little bit. Yeah. That's, good. That's good to hear. John in St. Clair Falls, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi. Um, I am a 69-year-old athlete who still thinks he's 30 and... I took yeah. a fall in a ski race three weeks ago, and I have some shoulder pain. It seems to be the muscle, so if I put my finger right to the center of my shoulder, that's where it hurts. I have reasonable range of motion, but it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. Center front or center side? Like right in the front in the middle or more in the side, John? No, right dead in the side, so dead center. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a sort of classic rotator cuff impingement uh, pattern. Subacromial space. Yep, yep, yep. So it could be, there are a number of suspects on that list, most of which are related to your rotator cuff. So I would get myself in to see a physical therapist and they can sort out, is it, did you stir up the bursa? Do you have an underlying bursitis? Uh, Do you have a rotator cuff tendinopathy? Did you tear a rotator cuff tendon? whatever and then they can get you on the right path exactly moving forward exactly especially since you probably you're probably still interested in continuing to ski and i believe the berkey is coming up this weekend yeah this weekend gonna be shortened shortened yeah yep were you gonna do the berkey uh it's not that kind of racing it's alpine racing oh Oh, okay okay yeah yeah well we need to get that shoulder fixed so Mm -hmm. i would get in to see somebody um you know you didn't break anything but let's get you on the right path Time will heal many things, but since you're such an active individual, getting you in and getting sort of a boost to that healing process and making sure that you're not um, heading down the wrong path or doing too much or doing too little or working the wrong things, let's get you in to see somebody um, who specializes potentially in sports right? and get you going. That's right. Yeah. Good get luck, you back John. on the slopes. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Karen in Random Lake next. Hi, Karen. Hi, good morning. Um, Two years ago, I lost consciousness and fell. And when I hit my head, I damaged the uh, right cranial nerve, which resulted in double vision. And um, I'm just wondering a couple things. I, I did have PT right away. And uh, did my exercises, but it, it didn't seem to help. 
I'm wondering, uh, since I've had some improvement, if I should do that again, and if um, a walking stick is better than a cane, and um, also if the uh, the um, uh, reactive balance that you were talking about before might be helpful. So, do you still have double vision, Karen? Yes, I do. I I do. I was fitted with glasses with prisms. Yep. But uh, that doesn't really help okay. the balance. So I would, you are the perfect candidate who would need some balance training because you've had a change in your vision and the double vision is a big deal. So I would absolutely um, see a physical therapist to get you trained in appropriate reactive balance training with those glasses on and make sure that you're really good at it. And then you'd be the person who would be really, really important when you get up at night. The very first thing you should do before you get out of bed is put your glasses on because things will be different with glasses on and glasses off or you should get trained both ways, I guess. Um, and then walking stick versus cane. Lori, do you have an mm-hmm. opinion on that? Yeah, yeah. But but let me let me back up just a little bit. And one of the things that Karen said that I thought was important was that something had changed. She was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So sometimes in the acute phase or right away, you, you have a certain physical therapy program you might right. implement at that point in time based upon the current set of circumstances. And it sounds like now those have changed slightly. So that is the time to go back because your treatment plan is going to be different now than it was acutely. So I'm glad that you asked that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of the walking pole versus the cane, I, I prefer a walking pole. It keeps you a little more upright than a cane does. Um, know that if you have an assistive device and only one hand, all it does is give you one more point of contact. It can't really offload your body weight. So for people who take a cane because it hurts to, you know, to step on one leg or another, it can't offload more than 20% of your body weight. So if you're looking for something to offload, an assistive device, cane, crutch, walking stick in one hand isn't going to do it. If the issue is balance, then one can do it because it gives you a third point of contact with the ground. So... And absolutely reactive balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good luck, Karen. Thank you so much uh, for calling. Uh, Jim in Milwaukee, your turn. Hi, Jim. Hey. Hello. How are you? Thanks Good. for taking the call. Sure. Um, I have a couple uh, things real quick. Um, first of all, I think I should come into the studio and have them work me head to toe, and then we'd probably answer 90% of the listeners' uh, questions <laughs> by just going over my body. But uh, I, I have a question. I, I want to find a, somebody that can look at my shoulder. And at one point you guys mentioned about um, how to go about finding one. Uh, you talked about certified therapists or medical doctor, that therapist. And my mm-hmm. second question is is uh, about my father-in-law. He's 90 years old and he's got a hernia and they don't want to operate on it um, because of other health issues mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, it's just been diagnosed like within a couple of weeks and it's, uh, fine when he's kind of laying down or sitting down sometimes but it's painful and he and it's a problem when he walks and he already has a cane that he walks with and he's had some other problems that way so i don't know if you have any suggestions on what we might be able to do to help him Mm, okay well let's start with you had mentioned your shoulder so um 
I'm just going to talk a little bit about clinical specialization and, and, and talk a little bit about that. So within physical therapy, there are different specializations for physical therapists. So Lori and I are both certified in sports physical therapy. So working with athletes of all ages and getting them to return to their sport or physical activity is kind of where we focus. There are orthopedic physical therapists who do similar to what we do, but they see a little bit more of the general population. They see a lot more of patients who um, are injured on the job or have workers' compensation issues, things like that. There are geriatric clinical specialists. I'm hoping someday mm-hmm. I don't need one, but they are, they are people who specialize in aging and so and all the comorbidities that go with it. So... Um, all of this balance and falls risk are somebody that a geriatric clinical specialist would specialize in. And then the other one I'll just throw out there is there's neuro, who specializes in a lot of people with head injury, strokes, things like that. And there's peds. Um, so there's a women's variety. Health. Women's health, pelvic health. There's a lot of specializations you can you can get certified in and become board certified in within the world of physical therapy. Um, so when we talk about that, that's what we talk about. So you can call a clinic and ask if they have certified specialists. Um, there's a website you can go to as well to find a board certified specialist um, in your area. So I think that kind of answers the first question. The second question about your 90 year old father in law with a hernia. <laughs> I don't know if a, about a belt. That's exactly yeah, what I was, I was thinking. Yeah, I was. I was wondering if some sort of belt, some mm-hmm. support belt. I would expect that if he has a hernia that is inoperable, that they would recommend some kind of support, support. for him when he's up. And, you know, you mentioned that he had other issues. He was using a cane. So, again, thinking about ways to increase his tolerance for walking. Mm-hmm. So if he has other comorbidities, being active is going to be important for him. So whether it's a cane, a walker, a set of walking poles, anything to increase his safe mobility is going to help keep him more active. Mm-hmm. Additionally, if he would consider exercising in a pool, mm-hmm. again, going to throw that out because the hydrostatic pressure is going to act a bit like a corset around his abdomen and might provide enough support for him that he can actually walk in a pool and be active there. So that might be another option for yep. him. Jim, good luck. Thank you so much. Kathy emailed, she had an ankle fusion. What are your experiences in working with folks who have had that surgery? Well, the anytime you have a fusion anywhere, then the adjacent joints have to work harder to make sure that you can achieve the movements that you need to. So if you think about, like, if you couldn't bend your knee, you would need more mobility at your hip and ankle in order to be able to walk somewhat normally. So if you fuse the ankle, you're going to need really good mobility in what's called your first ray and your big toe and that joint there, as well as in your knee and hip. And you may try a rocker bottom shoe mm-hmm. because what you what your joint, your ankle joint can't do, you can compensate for by wearing kind of a rocker bottom shoe or a clog mm. like our friend Bill Boys and all mm-hmm. used to wear. Mm-hmm. So shoe wear may become a factor for Kathy as well. It's not a joint that's commonly fused, but there are times when it, it's indicated and it needs to be fused. Yeah, typically right. with pretty significant arthritis. Right. So um, just making sure that she has good strength and mobility in adjacent joints would be really important. Yep. 
Let's go to Charlie in Bloomington, Minnesota next. Hi, Charlie. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, I have bone spurs in my neck and partially dislocated disc in C3, C4 area. And let me read the summary from the orthopedist. It says, Parthesia and pain of both upper extremities and cervical disc disorder at C5, 6 level with radiculopathy. So my question is, I'm very stiff, and, and a couple of years ago, I had a steroid injection put in because I, I in my neck because I had numbness in my arms. That worked well for about a year, and about two months ago, I had it done again, and it seemed to increase and decrease the numbness. So that's better in my extremities. But what I'm trying to do is increase my flexibility in my neck. And I've gone to a new physical therapist, and my previous physical therapist a couple of years ago had me move, stretch my neck side to side, bend it over. This person said I need to straighten up. So for physical therapy, taking my my fingers and push my chin back so my neck moves back and forth against my spine. And she said, the the, the therapist said, that's to increase your flexibility so you can move the other direction. Well, about two weeks ago, I started to develop a sharp pain in my neck. So wondering if what what I should do for increasing my flexibility in my neck. And okay. in conjunction with this, sorry to make it a long question. I also previously had a Saunders traction machine in mm-hmm. my device, mm-hmm. and yep. whether that would be useful at all in, in terms yep. of this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So I would go back to the physical therapist who instructed you in sort of that chin tuck technique, um, which is actually a good one. Right. And based up, and that physical therapist prescribed that based upon what she saw at that time, not what you were like two years previous. So so whatever they did previously may not be appropriate now. It raises a really important point about prescribed exercise. It's not, do you do this exercise, yes or no, but how you do the exercise. So it's possible that you're drawing your chin in too far for too long. Um, it may be that you're doing it too frequently or that you're not doing it frequently enough. So it, it comes down to how that activity is dosed and how it's performed. So it's really important for you to communicate with your physical therapist about how you're responding to the exercises that you were given so that that person has an opportunity to modify it based upon your response to it. You have a, you have a whole laundry list of right. things in your neck including symptoms in both arms. So this right. is a central right. this is a central stenosis issue which mm-hmm. is really difficult to treat. Correct. So it requires very close and ongoing communication with your physical therapist. And I would ask your physical therapist the question about, about the, the Saunders, Saunders traction. traction. Theoretically, it could be a good thing, but again, it depends upon your response to it because you have more than one thing going on in your neck. It might be good for problem A, but not good for problem B, which is why sometimes you just have to road test these things and 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 have a response and, right. s- and decide what's next. Right. little ABAB design. That's right. Good luck, Charlie. Thank you. Uh, Roger in Grantsburg, do you have a comment? Hi, Larry. Yes, I, I was just listening, just caught the tail end of your show here and uh, about the stretching and, and things. I tore my rotor cup up. I called and talked to them before about about, about, about it here to these gals. You gals just rock, I'm telling you. You're <laughs> awesome. It's like, oh, man. I was like, I missed them. I missed them. <laughs> but I've been doing some stretching. I watch. I went to physical therapy, 
she'd had me doing some the leaning against the door frame and pushing my arm out from side to side with my hand a certain way and stretching and i went on and i watched a guy uh, a guy on there a therapist and about uh, techniques of laying down and stretching my arms out from side to side and then lifting them up exercising from laying them flat and then lifting them straight up i've made it i've got it now where i can move my arm pretty good i can lift it pretty good and it's pretty much pain-free just from stretching and that now other question i had was is there anything with the neck or with my neck or my upper back my hands i've had damage with both hands really bad i had uh uh, I had E. coli in my right left hand after I had hip surgery, and the, my fingers just freeze. Mm. I, I lost. You, oh my goodness! So lots going on there. Wow. Okay. Well, it it sounds like um, the physical therapy and the exercises Roger did for his rotator cuff were quite successful. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like what he's experiencing now is a different set of symptoms and would warrant a new referral and a new episode of care for someone to look at this specifically. I expect it's different um, from his rotator cuff issue. I do too, but I also think they're related. So she, he might have more mobility now in his shoulder and more flexibility. And now he's realizing that, wow, my now I have impairments in my cervical spine and upper neck and back. So he maybe mm-hmm. didn't even know they were there because he couldn't move that far. And now ah. that he's got that more more mobility, he's realizing that now I do have some impairments or loss of motion. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely get a referral and see that physical therapist and keep being as compliant as you are. And let's kind of keep peeling the layers off this onion. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. The layers of the onion. Yeah. I like that, Shrek. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, what about Deb in uh, Galesville? She wonders if you could talk about specific impact activities and benefits for bone density. Can stopping marching in place on cement be helpful? <laughs> so that's a great question, Deb. And it's always, it, you have to take yourself from the level you're at to the next level. So it depends on where you're starting. So for some people, doing brisk walking is enough to load their bones. For other people, they're going to need to do some running, some odd impact where they accelerate and decelerate. So it is a spectrum, if you will. And we have to find out where Deb is and then take her to the next level. So seeing a physical therapist for some ideas on impact progression that you could do without putting yourself at risk for a stress fracture or anything are ideal, Lori. Mm -hmm. I was just concerned about the comment about cement. Yes. Um, So if I were to start an impact program, I would not do it on cement, not because of my bone, but because of my joints. Right. So lots of people have a, you know, are enthusiastic about starting that exercise program. And if you start on something like cement or pavement or as most of our large box stores and malls are. Right, mall walking. Mm-hmm, our tile over cement where every step gives you everything back to your joints. You're going to wear out your joints, and then your exercise is going to be done. Start on a high school track. Yep. <laughs> there, There's a good place to start. And here's a good place to end. <laughs> Jill, Lori, thank you both so much. We'll look forward to your visit next month. Sounds great. Appreciate Perfect. it very thank much. Thank you. Jill Tyne Nissenbaum, Lori Tyne Brody, physical therapist uh, at uh, the University of Wisconsin. Jill's a professor in the Doctor of Physical Therapy program. Lori, um, athletic trainer and physical therapist at the Health Spine Physical Therapy Clinic. 
Thanks for listening. Stay with us. Lots in store on the Ideas Network. I'm Larry Miller.